I am hiring three people that are going together and they're going to work on something and they're going to be allowed to tell us what we're doing wrong. It was a smart move business-wise by Byron Munich because LA has so many soccer fans and kids who want to grow up and play the game, be around the game. Why don't we have a Bellingham? Why don't we have an Mbappe? I will go first with this one because I do not want to see Gio Reyna. You be yeah, the coach, Scotty. Have. I'll be the GM and we'll get we'll get Sam over there. We'll get this thing straightened <laughs> out. Yes, exactly. That's our solution. We we solved US soccer's yeah. problem in 45 minutes and director. 42 seconds. We need a sporting director. Welcome back into Straight From The Pitch. I'm your host, Anna Witte, joined by my co-host, Scotty Schweitzer. Scotty, before we get into all the soccer stuff, how was your weekend? What was the best part of your weekend? Answer that wisely. I will. Seeing you and having dinner with you. It was nice yeah. to see you up in Raleigh here. <laughs> I know. It was fun to connect again and get good food. I didn't know you were a cook. I learned so much yep. about that. Speaking of, yep. I'm making Sloppy Joe's tonight, so I need your recipe because I know you touched on that. Oh, it's at, my Sloppy Joe's is actually Kirsten's recipe, so. Oh, okay. She, we, we tag team on certain things, but then like when she leaves the kitchen, I mess around with stuff, put spices. I gotcha. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Okay. I'll have to text you after. All right. First okay. topic today is the U.S. Men's National Team CONCACAF Nations League games in March and in April. The team doesn't have a sporting director. They don't have a GM. They don't really have a head coach. The acting head coach is Anthony Hudson, and now that Burhalter has been cleared by U.S. Soccer, we may see Burhalter step back into that position. So there's a lot of question marks around the roster, question marks around coaching, staffing, et cetera. So if you, Scotty, were involved in U.S. soccer before these matches start, who would you bring in as a head coach to coach this men's national team? Ooh, good question, Anna. So first, if I was the head of U.S. soccer, <laughs> number one, I would make it a paid role. Number one, I would make that role paid. How is a, the head of U.S. soccer a volunteer role? It does. It blows my mind. I can't. I can't wrap my head around it. So for number one, that needs to be a paid job, and then you need to hold up to the standard of whatever we're paying that person. We have the World Cup coming. We have three and a half years, which seems like a lot of time, but it is not. That is going to be in our. That's going to come around the corner in a second. So mm -hmm. we need a sporting director. We need a GM. We need a head coach. We have these games that we are playing. And we have a lot of talented players. And I was going through it in my head. We have a Chelsea player, a Borussia Dortmund player, an Arsenal player, two Leeds player, and one of the Leeds players came from Juventus. Three Leeds players. Like, we have a talented group of young players on our roster. And every coach is allowed to coach their style of play. So who we're bringing in until we know who our coach is is pretty much irrelevant to me. Because I could like Reina in this role, or I could like Reyna as this player, and the next coach, his right, doesn't like him, doesn't want him, doesn't see him in this role. So we are building to a World Cup in our backyard, in our home, that we need to inspire generations to come. Mm -hmm. and, and right now, we are doing a terrible job of that. And it starts at the top. It starts at the top. I mean, uh, just recently, I read an article about Jim Curtin saying that coaches overseas are being labeled by basically by this Ted Lasso show, which I love. I think it's great. I really think it touches on locker room things that you don't realize is going on in the locker room with all the different cultures, all the different personalities. But let's get serious. We are being judged on Burhalter and Reyna episodes and how lackluster we are. Or when we don't qualify for the World Cup, it takes Bruce Arena, what, four months 
to resign. And then we give it to our assistant coach who was under the same regime. And we know he's not going to be the coach. And our president doesn't step down right after it happens. Italy doesn't qualify for the same World Cup. Their president uh, quit on the tarmac, getting onto the plane, leaving. And the coach, he quit two days later. Not even two days when they got back into Italy. I like, we need to do things the right way. We have talented players. We need to know who our coach is and we need to know what system we're going to play and how we're going to inspire and excite another generation to become better players. So who am I hiring? I am hiring three people that are going together and they're going to work on something and they're going to be allowed to tell us what we're doing wrong. Why is it taking us so long to get this right? If we have all this talent, I want to know what's wrong with our youth system. I want to know if college is the right path or college is the wrong path for some players. It seems to be the right path on the girl side. Why isn't it the right path on the boy side? Do we need to get our players out of the MLS next programs, the MLS and get them over Europe? So they see a different speed of soccer, a different brand of soccer. So when we come across it in the world cup, it's not brand new to us. It's not something we've never seen before. Right. So I'm looking at a coach like a, a Zidane. A coach that the players are going to respect. He knows the game ins and outs. He's played in France. He's played in Italy. He, he's played for France's World Cup. He's been a World Cup superstar. He's been a World Cup winner. He knows what it takes. He's helped Real Madrid. I mean, we need a, a person that comes in here who's basically arrogant. I would love to see Jose Mourinho come in. He, he's the type of coach who likes to defend first and, and score goals second. And if we don't give up any goals, we have a chance to win. He doesn't care about media. He's not scared of the pressure. He's not scared of the limelight. And he will tell us the truth. We might not want to hear it, but he will tell it to us. So he's the type of person that I would bring in. But I think the sporting director, GM, and the head coach have to be a team. And they have to be on the same, this is how we're going to play. These are the players we're looking for. This is the type of soccer we're going to play. This is the brand we're going to play. And go from there. And one way you know it works is that is what St. Louis did. That is exactly. They brought a coach in and a their, their technical director, their, their sporting director, they were on the same pace. We're going to play a German style, high press. They came from the same school of teaching of Ranić, who was at Man U, but he's known for his German pressing style. Um, and it's working. So now everybody's going to buy into it. And St. Louis, three games in a row, three wins. Not playing the best brand of soccer, but they're a brand new team. And they're doing what it's going to take not only to win, but to win a championship. So, so when I look at the national team, that's where I think we're missing the boat. I think we're thinking, oh, you know, we got these players. We need to bring a group of players in that coincide with each other, that click, mm -hmm. that play the same style of soccer, and then we have the best chance to win. You touched on a good point with wanting all three people to come in together and be on the same page. Because if you think of a coach and a GM, they have to like the same, same style soccer because the GM is going out and they're recruiting the players, bringing them to the coach to coach up and, and figure out how they work in their system. But if those two people aren't on the same page and maybe don't have a pass together, that doesn't make sense. So I like your theory on that. I also think a positive side of all of this and kind of you touched on kind of what a disaster U.S. soccer is at on the men's side of things right now is we do have three and a half years. We have time and maybe the time that they are using uh, to find the next right person, maybe putting some people in as a interim coach to see how they fit with their top players can help. There is time, but also they can't sit on that and be like, we have time because we all know how that works. Time goes by so fast. And, you know, the World Cup will be here in 2026 before we know it. So we're starting with Granada and El Salvador in March. 
The next question is, who do you want to see on the roster? I will go first with this one because I do not want to see Gio Reyna. I think what happened with the Burhalters should be a reprimand. He should not be able to play and just in this FIFA window. And it should be kind of a slap on the wrist to his parents and himself and how they handled this whole situation that you cannot act like this. This is unprofessional. This is embarrassing that U.S. soccer had to deal with this. And they wasted their resources trying to look into the behind of what happened. So I say no Gio Reyna. Obviously, I think he's a phenomenal player, fits well into U.S. soccer, but you can't do those things and not be reprimanded for it. <laughs> I mean, come on. Uh, I, I agree. I agree. I think, I think Gio Reyna is probably our most talented player. Sure. And that's the sad fact of it. I don't agree with how Burhalter handled the situation. I, I don't. I think he should have played more. I think it's very hard to tell a player before the World Cup even starts, you're going to play a limited role. Like, we can't see into the future. You don't know sure. how the games are going to go. You don't know how injuries are going to go. But one thing I do know is what we are seeing from Gio Reyna. He is a spoiled little brat. And, and that comes from mom and dad, because as the report comes out, this is not the first time they've done it at youth levels. They've done it with the youth national team. And listen, we can all say, oh, the Rangers are this and they're that so bad and, and whatever. But let's not be blind to the fact that this is happening all across America mm -hmm. with youth players. And, and I always tell players when they come to me and parents are like, this is terrible, blah, blah, blah. I, I try to get them. It's, it's hard to stay calm. It all works out in the end. So this player is, yeah. is on the top team, an academy team, an ECNL team, whatever whatever they want to call them at the clubs, and they make it all the way through. The colleges don't do a good enough job recruiting. Oh, your your ECA, ECNL, your academy, they sign them, they get them there, and then the portal has forty thousand players in it because the players can't play. They can't play soccer. Oh, the coach doesn't like me. They only play a European style. They don't play my style. Please, please earn your spot. But you don't know how to earn a spot. Because mom and dad earned your spot with either the cash they gave or the emails they sent or all the other baloney that they do. And that is what also hurts our game is these parents get involved and these coaches accept it because I, I don't know why they've accepted because they want to be a soccer money in coach. their pocket. Yeah, they want to be a soccer. And it's really a lot of times it comes down from the top of the club because they're making way more money than the coaches are. So they want to just make sure, oh, we have 16,000 players in our club. Yeah, but what are you, what, for what? You, you went for quantity over quality. And it's not just quality of play, it's quality of character. So we have a lot of teams, they're not teammates, they, they don't know how to play on a team. And I've played a lot of sports at a high level. Soccer is the most team-oriented sport I've ever played. Everybody needs to be on the same page. Everybody needs to be fighting for each other. Yeah. Listen, I'm a Bears fan, and we won the Super Bowl in 85. And our... Offense didn't even like our defense and our coaches fought each other and we still won the Super Bowl and nobody could touch us. It, it wasn't a team sport. These guys thought they were the reason we won. These guys thought they were the reason we won. Soccer's not like that. We have one or two players on the other side going in a different route. It'll throw the whole thing off. Every player is important. Every player is going to get their turn. So like when, when Gio Reyna is told he's not going to play and he pouts and he cries, listen, I wouldn't have been happy either. You tell me I'm not going to play. I'm going to be the best player in practice for the next practices or for the whole World Cup. And when we leave the World Cup, all the team is going to say, what the hell was wrong with Berhalter? Why didn't he play Schweitzer? He was so much better than all of us. He would have gave us a better chance to win. Like by what Gio Reyna did, Berhalter never lost a locker room. 
Burhalter was fine in the locker room. Gio Reyna was wrong in the locker room. So, like, almost out of safety, I don't bring Gio Reyna in because I don't want to play with him. He, he didn't care about us. At the, he didn't care about the United States. He didn't care about me as a player. He cared about his stats and what it was going to make him look like and where he was going to go from there. Because if he wants to start on the United States World Cup team, yeah, he better start at Bruce Dortmund. And he comes off the bench there, too, because he hasn't matured yet. Gio Reyna reminds me, and I hope it goes a different route, than a, a player that used to be, he's an Italian player. His name is Mario Balotelli. One of the most talented soccer players I've ever seen. And he still plays today, and I have no idea where he plays. He's played for Liverpool, AC Milan, Man City, played for the Italian national team. A unbelievable talent, but a head case. Immature, always that had to be about himself. Nobody wanted to play with him. And it's a career that has been ruined by his own wrongdoing. You kind of said soccer is the hardest team sports because in basketball, football, they're set plays. Everyone knows where they need to play. Soccer, it's such a fluid sport. You have to be on a team like mentality, especially with the World Cup. It doesn't make sense that you step in there thinking that it's all about you. That's the stage for yeah, your every, nation every practice, that you're playing every game, for. You're reading right. mentalities and thoughts and, okay, now he does this in this situation, does this in this situation. Not like it's a set play. It's like you're reading each player and then, oh, a sub comes in and this player comes in. Like I said, Gio Rain is probably our most talented player, but are we going to win with him? Are you going to win with that type of player? And that's the goal is to win the World Cup. It's not to go there and get out. And I know I read some of Burhalter's thing. Oh, it's so sad because it took a it took away from how well we did in the World Cup. Well, how well we did? Did you look at our group? Like, if we can't beat Wales, there's a problem. If we mm -hmm. can't beat Iran, there's a problem. Like England, that was okay. We lose to England, okay, and we tied them. We should get out of our group easy. And then I know it was three to one. It's a pretty big score. But it was worse than that, what Holland did to us. They, they destroyed us. They toyed with us. They let us think we were part of the game. And then whenever they wanted, they stole it from us and scored on us. They did whatever they wanted. They manipulated us exactly what the game's about. They made us think we were in the game and then destroyed us. And, and they treated us like little kids. That's what they, hey, let them have the ball for a little bit. And then, okay, we're getting bored. Steal it. Score a goal. Boom. Let's go. Let's do it again. This blow up of U.S. soccer, in a sense, could be the best thing that's ever happened to them because it could be the they have to go from the foundation and build it back up, bring in the right players, the right people that surround the team. And for Gio Reyna, this could be a huge wake up call. He's not even 21 yet. This could be a huge wake up call for him to realize that the decisions he make, the words that comes out of, come out of his mouth make huge implications. And hopefully U.S. soccer holds him to that standard. And that's the biggest thing too, is we have to have people in the right positions to hold people to the right standard when they don't do the right things and don't make the best decisions for the team. I've been in locker rooms before where they're very talented players, but nobody gets along and no one likes each other. And you're not going to see results if there's one or two people who are making everyone's lives a living nightmare around them. So it'll be interesting right. to see. We're not picking the Dallas Mavs to win the uh, NBA championship because <laughs> they have Kyrie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I we didn't touch on the player we want to see on the roster. We didn't touch on a player we want to see on the field. We I, do, I, I would love to see this Cade Cow kid play. Okay, sure. Uh, I think he's got a, the, he's got an energy about himself. He's got a mentality. He likes to attack. He likes to press. He likes to play the game. And from all accounts, he is about the game. He is playing for the game, for the team. It's not. It doesn't come across yet. Now, again, he's young. We have limited, limited stuff to see from him. But this is a player that, like, as a player watching, as a coach watching, I want to be a part of it with him. I, I want to go through the journey with him. Like, I, I want to be in the foxhole with him. He looks like a kid that will, like, 
There's no quit. There's no surrender in them. That that's the type. That's the type of players that make it work. That make you win championships. That wins World Cups. I mean, I, I was cheering for Argentina, but France had him too. And Mbappe's not going to give up. He always thinks he's in the game. They did some things. I know they they don't always agree with the coach, but they have talented players. But talented players that fight for that for that crest, for that shield, mm-hmm. for the for the flag. And I think we need more players like that that are playing the game to leave a legacy, but not their legacy in a sense, the legacy for soccer in America. And I think we had it for a while. We lost it. I, I read an article crushing the old guard, the Lalases, the, the Balboas, the Mike Lappers, the Hendersons, basically everybody run in the MLS with high significant jobs. And they, they still take care of themselves. I was on that 94 World Cup team. I think I was the last player cut, but I remember going to trainings every day and I'd be in the locker room and I'd be like, well, there's not a lot of guys here. Are they out on the field? And they're like, oh, no, they're talking to Bora, the Vermises, the Clavijos, the Quins. They were all in the office like, who talks to the coach that much as a group like that? I've never seen it before, never seen it after. It's like they were all manipulating their spots to keep themselves. And granted, we did good in the World Cup. It's, it would be hard not to be good in the World Cup in 94. Our, our fan base was so amazing. But they did good. They inspired a generation. I'll give them that. But sometimes the game passes you by or you have to develop with the game, whether it be your knowledge, your insight, or what you're trying to grow for the game. And I, I don't think this guard is doing that. I think they're doing – Reyna was part of that 94 team. He didn't play a lick. Like his son played a little bit more than him. But these guys are like they're living on past glory. And I say it all the time. There are too many people in soccer for what soccer can do for them not for what they can do for soccer. And right. that's a huge problem here in America. Right. Well, maybe we need Mbappe on our – can we get him a, a visa or whatever he needs to play on the U.S. national know. team? I hope. My other thing is we always say, like, oh, Reyna, he's, you know, he's not even 21 yet. Like, good God, there's guys playing in Europe that are amazing. Well, how old's Phil yeah. Foden? Like, he's amazing. How, how old's Bellingham coming out of Borussia Dortmund where Reyna is, and he's their star. Like, he's only 19 years old. These well, I'm saying are, from his development as an individual person. I'm not no, talking no, about his I, soccer I agree, talent. But like yeah. as, as an American, we were like a couple years ago, we were like, oh my God, we got Polisic. He's the same age as Mbappe. <laughs> it's not even close to how much better Mbappe is than him. I, I think we give our I, I think we should start saying Polisic's really, really good. Reina's really, really good. But why aren't they as good as Mbappe? Why aren't they as they they have everything they need to be that good? Like we say, oh my God, he's amazing. Like we should say, he's really good for an American. But why are our Americans, why don't we have a Bellingham? Why don't we have an Mbappe? Why don't we have a, a, a Gavi, a Pedri? Like why does Spain keep creating them? Why does Argentina keep creating them? Why does these other countries keep creating these players? And we get one or two pretty good players here or there. One of the ways that we could have those types of players here in America is the joint talent development venture that LAFC and Byron Munich are putting together. It's going to be called Red and Gold Football, and each team owns 50% of it. Uh, Byron Munich has done this with FC Dallas before, and Alfonso Davies moved from Vancouver to Byron Munich in 2018 with a at the time, world-breaking record MLS transfer for more than $22 million. Um, The fact that the 2026 World Cup is here, we talked about it a little bit. They have an office in New York City, but Bayern Munich CEO talked about they want that office in LA too. They want to be here. They see the significance of it. And obviously they want to help 
the youth grow here in America. So Scotty, how does the style of soccer that Byron Munich plays going to help and impact the youth here in America? I think it's going to be fantastic. So when I was growing up, I was a Bayern Munich fan. We could actually get some German games in New Jersey in in the 80s, early 90s. So I could watch some of the Bayern stuff. I'm a huge Beckenbauer fan who I think he's still in charge at Bayern. But Bayern has a philosophy that it's not good enough to just win. You you have to entertain. I, I can't remember they're saying winning without entertaining is just boring. Uh, a winning without Entertaining without winning is boring and without winning boring. without entertaining is just pointless. Like that's Bayern's philosophy. Like it's not good enough right. just to win. You have to, you have to entertain. You have to play great soccer. You have to be the reason we're coming is not just because we're going to win, but we're going to watch a great brand of soccer. And for me, for me seeing that Bayern has done it with Dallas and now mm-hmm. is doing it with LA. Well, let's remember Dallas for the longest time, was bringing up these young players out of their own system. And it was Oscar Pereira, who's now at Orlando. He, he really delved into the, the youth development in Dallas, made them a completely different team, made them a team really, really good. They, they, had, they had a good history, but when he took them over, they really changed the philosophy in Dallas and they had these younger players. And now they're doing it with LA. And in the first three weeks, LA FC is the class of this league. I mean, just the class of the league. And Chirundolo's there. The The German style is a high-pressing style most of the time with a bit of flair, which we are as Americans. We like to play with the flair, too. We want to, we want to be better. So I think Byron's going to see – they see the talent we have, and maybe they're saying the same thing I'm saying is, what the hell happens to it? Where, where does it go? Why are these kids so good at this youth level? And then when they become finally pros – it's like they miss four or five steps. They're not getting the game as good as they should. And uh, from what I've read, it seems like they want the players to go to Europe that they identify. Right. And play within right. their systems. So maybe they're saying, well, if we can get this talent and get them with the right coaching and in the right environments, we can make a change and we can help. And I think LAFC, when I said not only the class, when I watch the games, they're the, they're the supporters I want to be with waving the flag their supporters are amazing it's like you forget when you're watching the game if they keep showing the supporters you almost forget you're watching an american soccer game because they're so into it like the european fans like they understand that they bring a rhythm to the game right and lfc lafc coming off a huge win against new england last week four nil we haven't seen a lot of goals in mls this season either a, a team to put up four goals in one match in mls is a huge deal. You touched on it, and that's exactly what I was going to say. I think it was a smart move business-wise by Byron Munich because L.A. has so many soccer fans and kids who want to grow up and play the game, be around the game. I've been to the bank a few times for NWSL and MLS and seeing how many people show up, even during a week game, to watch a, a non-regular season game. They will be there. They're supporting, and you can tell that the youth there are going to be invested and they want to be better. And I think it's cool that they're taking them out of their comfort zone, bringing them over to their own country. They're going to develop them there, allow them to come back. And also Bayern Munich's going to potentially, if this all goes well, have a huge name here in America. That's what they want too. They see the potential of soccer here in the States, obviously with the World Cup coming up. They want to financially benefit off of that as well. So it makes sense for them to be making these moves. And I think it'll be interesting to see what other clubs and what other leagues outside of the States come in and try and help develop our youth. 
I don't think the state should be prideful about it. I think it's a great move. And why not bring other people who have better soccer minds in some sense, help develop our youth. But also you kind of mentioned too the fact that uh, why don't we have some of those? We have Christian Pulisic. He's good here in the States. We have Gio Reyna. He's good here as an American. You touched on it before as well. The fact that like in America, we play other sports too. And it's not just soccer. A lot of people are encouraged to swim, play basketball, just to figure out what sport they want to play. And abroad, it's not like that. People play in their backyards. They play with their neighbors all day long. That could be a huge reason why here in America, we don't have the next level because we're not constantly playing. So those LA kids going over to Bayern Munich are going to be in that system and that lifestyle for however long they're there. I think also what they do better in Europe is when they bring a player over, they'll let, let that player express themselves. So that's one good thing about the German league. You said, what other leagues can do this? I think the Spanish league is a good league that Americans could get a start in. Uh, the, the Dutch league, Eredivisie is a good league. When, when you see these players come in and like, we get a young player here in the MLS, these coaches are like, this is the system and this is how I want you to play. Like, when I was in college, I had an Argentine coach, Coach Tarantini, amazing coach. His brother wins a World Cup with, the, with Argentina. Amazing coach. He's an Argentine mentality-wise, but he's also Italian, so he has a different a hard-nosedness about his, his game of soccer on the attacking side. But he didn't ask me. He told us how NC State was going to play, but he didn't tell us how we were going to play. He let us be our own individual player within a system, but don't change the player. Now, do you fit the system with your style? Can you adapt and make little changes to your, you personally, not him telling me, well, no, I want you to always play it right. I want you to always play it out this. He, he allowed us to be ourselves and creative individualistically to fit the system of the team. And I think that's what we see over in Europe. They take these players and they don't try to mold them or change them. They just try to teach them their brand of soccer and how it fits the system. Sure. And, and that's what we, we did. Here, we're always trying to make a player. So like I see a left-footed player at the club level and they're like, oh, he's lefty. He must be messy. So we try to make him a messy and he's not messy. And then at the end of the day, the coach doesn't take any, any blame for it. It's the player's fault. Well, first of all, he's not messy. He just happens to be left-footed. What, what does he want to do? How does he see the game? Ask questions. Learn how he's seeing it through his eyes. And then you as a coach with experience who should see many different forms of soccer, help him understand his game. So he knows where his path and his journey is supposed to go. We are sending players in the club level sometimes. I see it all the time. Oh, so-and-so signs with Florida State. And you're like, Florida State? You're not going to play at Florida State. And the players are like, well, you don't think I'm good enough? Like, no, it's not even your brand of soccer. Like, how are you going to grow in this brand of soccer? You're a holding midfielder that plays like a 10. And they bypass the midfield in high press. Like, you're not going to mm -hmm. play there. You're never going to play there. Don't blame it on anybody else. Your, your style of soccer doesn't fit this place. And, and that's part of the game. That, that happens all the time, even at the pro level. Uh, Juan Mata, a few years back, is at Chelsea. Jose Mourinho comes in and takes over Chelsea. He gets rid of Juan Mata. He doesn't play a system. Mourinho gets fired, gets the Man U job. Who's that Man U? Juan Mata. They play a totally different brand of style of soccer because they have different players. And Juan Mata is a star. For Mourinho, Mourinho didn't think he was a bad player. He didn't fit his system. He wasn't going to try to get Juan Mata to do something he couldn't do. It wasn't going to work. And, and that's what we have here in, in the U.S. is like we have right now a really good midfield, the national team. 
Uh, I think McKinney could be better, but he does a real good job covering. And the other two players do a real good job covering and creating. So, okay, let's build out of there. What else do we have? We have Polisic. If Reina can get his act together, we have Reina. What do we need? We need a nine and we need two center backs that are cleaner on the ball. What if we also didn't at the youth level pin someone? I mean, you mentioned, let's use the example of a left-footed player. They are predominantly and normally always used on the left side. I I don't really see a lot of coaches maybe put them in the midfield unless it completely makes sense and it's stupid obvious for them to be in the middle of the field. What if we tried to change that up and throughout their youth kind of put them in a nine role, put them as a center back, put them as an outside back, figure out the role that best fits them as they're growing up, as they're developing and getting better, maybe different systems that they're playing in depending what club they're on. Why are we just putting them in one role and making that their role? And if they're not great at that, then they'll never play at the next level. Yeah, I, I think- that a fair a question? Of, yeah, totally fair. And I think a big part of the problem is a lot of our coaches are coaching for their result, for their wins. And they'll say it's not yeah. about wins and losses. It's about development, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, like as, as the age groups get older and you get a lot of parents saying, come to coaches and say, my son's only playing center back, blah, blah, blah. You know, he's a, he's a midfielder. He's this, he's that. And I try to tell parents, in a way, your coach is giving you a compliment because most coaches work their way from the back. These are the players they trust the most to get them a win, to do the dirty work, to do the honest stuff, to work the hardest. They're, they're lazier players. I always tell players when they're like, hey, where's so-and-so playing that used to that I used to coach? And they're like, well, she kind of moves around up on the top line. Sometimes she's a nine, sometimes a seven, sometimes an 11. And when they're telling me that moving around, I'm basically saying, well, is anyone going to tell her they don't have a spot for her? They're just keeping her as far away from the goal as possible. Their goal, so that they don't get scored on. So like... What, what happens is we are coaching players based on what's good for us as coaches instead of what's good for the player. And, and that's a huge problem at the youth level. Listen, I was a pro coach. I didn't like the owners. They were only about the money. They didn't care about the fan base. They really didn't. They cared about them enough to get them into the park paying tickets. They didn't care about the product we put on the field. They didn't really care about the players. They wanted you to think so. They wanted the players to think so. Oh, my door's always open, but they didn't. We had the lowest salary cap in the in the league. It was terrible. They they were doing everything they could to nickel and dime players, and they did everything they possibly could to just get people in the stands and not put a good product on the field. To make money in soccer, you got to lose money, and that's the truth. And everybody does it across the world. Yeah. But so when I left, I wanted to. I thought I could do more at the youth level. And when I went and coached youth, you see a lot of players, and I'm I'm a I have a problem too. Like, oh, this kid could be a great midfielder, but you need to talk to the player. They might not want that responsibility. They might be a young player who can only see the game as if it's all in front of them. So you got to start them out in the back and then you got to give them here and there say, Hey, today, the goal for you is to get forward three times a half. That's your goal. You might lose it. I didn't say get forward and not lose it. I just get forward. Just try it. See if you can read when you're supposed to go there. We're, we're coaching players, not based on why this player played. Listen, when, when we both started playing soccer, it wasn't like, oh, I hope I play for Burhalter someday. Like, I didn't know who any of the national team coaches were. I didn't know who the college coaches were. I stepped on that field and, I, and something clicked and a light went off. And I was like, I love this game. I love everything about it. I have to be in tune with my teammates. I have to play all out to win this game. It's super hard. It's physically draining on me. It's emotionally draining. That is what I loved about the game. 
So when, when we coach players, we, we, we kill that in them. We take it from them and we, we're telling them, here's what I want you to do because this is how I see the game. Mm-hmm. No, this is how I see the game. Here are some ideas. Here are some concepts. What are your ideas and concepts? Can we mold them together? You can say to me, as a player that I coach is allowed to say to you, coach, I totally disagree with you 100%. Great. Well, we have to figure out what 100% comes to you. So let's talk about it. Help me because I might get a player down the road that is similar to the way you see it. And I have to help this player. I already know how I see it. I'm going to give you bits and pieces of my journey, but not to become your journey, to help you along your journey. And I think that's a huge problem in the U.S. is we, we want players to be what we want them to be. And we take what they want to be. Like, why do you play the game? Mm-hmm. Why do you do this? What does what, what you love about the game? We still the love and joy of players at the youth level all the time. I see it all the time. And then we don't give them the information they need to be better. I just went through a training session last night with Damon Nahas, the assistant coach, uh, associate head coach at UNC. And we were doing a simple 3-1-2 formation because we're in an indoor facility. But it translates to 11 v 11. That's why we play a 3-1-2. It connects us. It puts us in triangles. With the movement, we can always rotate into new positions. We can have third man running. And we were talking to our players, and it was a, it was a girls group. And I said, what do you play outdoor? And they were getting ready for a 99 tournament. And they play a 3-2-3. And I said, Why? And they said, uh, I don't know, because the coach told us to. And I was like, don't you think you should know why the coach wants you to play a 3-2-3? What's significant about that formation? How is this formation going to help me as a player, going to help me as a team, and going to help us win a tournament or a game? Like, But they don't even ask. And then the coaches probably don't know most of the time why they're even playing formations. Well, one thing, it's a business. And we all know that. All this is a business. Everyone has to make money. And that's just how it works, unfortunately. But also the other takeaway too is I know at the college level, at least from my experience, and I know a lot of people's experiences when we start watching film and we start breaking down not just our own film, other teams' film, but also teams that we'll never see like Barcelona, whoever. And that could help players grow from a younger level. Maybe your coach identifies, oh, you you remind me a lot of, I don't know, Yasmeen Ryan, and this is why. And you show her what she does well and what mistakes she doesn't do well, what formations she plays well in, and that could help hear her develop at a youth level. But it's watching film, taking that time out of being on the field together and sitting down. Also, at the youth level, too, it's like when you're super young, it's like the attention span could be there. Maybe it can't be. So the adjustment as to what is best to get into that. I agree with you on film. I always send players like – I can teach a player and an individual and show them things and I can learn their mechanics and help them understand their mechanics and they're feeling their mechanics. But then I can say, Oh, Hey, like I have my daughter. She plays very similar in my eyes to Lindsay Horan. That that's her style. That's, that's not my style. That's her style. So I say, Emmy, you need to watch this type of player, Lindsay Horan, Paul Pugba. And, and the reason is not to be them, but she'll see something and she'll say, Holy cow. That move that she just did, that Haran did, or Pugba just did, that's exactly what it feels like when I do it. Because she can do all the moves. So now you're seeing it on field by somebody else who moves just like you. And it makes way more sense than coming from me, a coach who sees it, but I can't show it to her. I have my movements or my movements. They're not similar to hers or this player. So to be able to see it and be able to say, oh, now it makes sense. 
Now I understand what I'm trying to accomplish when I do the move. I can do the move. Do I understand how the move works? Going back to the men's national team, a player I want to see on the roster, Tim Weah, they use him a lot on the national team as a right winger. I'd like to see him drop off, maybe play an outside back role. He's super fast. He's speedy. He might not have the knowledge of the game, but we don't know that because we've never seen him play back there. And he could help keep the back line a little bit higher, which allows our attack to be in, in the attack a little bit more. These are low stake games. Why not put Tim Weah back in that type of formation with some maybe slower center backs that we have back there? So that's kind of a, an idea too, just messing around with things, like allowing people to make mistakes and it doesn't have to be perfect from the jump, but giving our athletes the tools to be the best they can be. I think you touched on it right there, our athletes, because right now we just have athletes and they can right. become much better soccer players. Right. But like along that Tim Weah line, I really like that. But do we go three in the back, which is really five in the back, kind of like how England plays, which is allows us to press. And Tim Ware now is a is a wing back. So he's still a, a winger for us, but he also is a back, but he's not completely petrified because he knows he has a center back that can slide over and help in case he has little hiccups here and there. But it'll allow us with our athleticism to press games better because I feel we need to get the ball back. We press sometimes just to press defensively so they can't break us down. Whereas we should be pressing to get the ball back in better areas to then attack out of that. And some, sometimes it just seems like we just press to press so that they can't get through our lines instead of, well, no, the, the whole purpose of pressing is to get the ball back, not just to clog, clog spaces. And score a goal. And the, the good example of that on the women's side is Crystal Dunn. They slid her back into that outside back role position. You mentioned you'd love to see them in a three back. They're not playing that, but they also have Emily Fox on the other side. And Crystal Dunn, she played a lot of center midfield. She played outside. I think the dropping her off is good for this national team. And maybe Tim Way could fit that. He might be, he might be a terrible defender. We don't know. Who knows? But <laughs> hey, it's, how it's about, how about if they're not going to put Sam Coffee? On the women's team, can we get her on the men's team? Heck yes. In the six role. Let's just get this girl in here somewhere. I Losing love it. Mind on it. Why not? <laughs> I, I yeah, mean, I'm going back. Sam Coffey, we put her on yeah. the national team. We have 400 different formations we could play. We could play four in the back, but let Fox and Dunn press and then let our out, our center backs split and have Coffee drop if we need to. Then we're basically five in the back again. Right. We just need coffee on the national team somewhere. We do. Her, her her work ethic by itself is what allows for so many formations. She could kind of be a terrible defender and not terrible, but she could be a subpar soccer player in my opinion. And she could still help out this team immensely because she's always willing to put in the work and drop back defensively, step up. She seems to be in the right spots at the right time always. Yeah, let's get her on the men's team. You be yeah, the coach, Scotty. I'll be the GM and we'll get, we'll get Sam over there. We'll get this thing straightened out. <laughs> Yes, exactly. That's our solution. We we solved U.S. soccer's yeah. problem in 45 minutes and director. 42 seconds. We need a sporting director. <laughs> I don't have a good one off the top of my head. No, we'll so think you, of someone. You put me on the spot. We are going to just skip into NWSL. We are a week away from the regular season, but a huge topic has been the NWSL calendar change debate. The league has talked a little bit about, and people have talked about it'll fall to spring instead of spring to fall. Now, there are nine cities in the NWSL that have terrible weather, not ideal to be playing soccer in. Um, they'd be competing with the NFL, college football, NHL, NBA. But if they switch over to this new change, if they did the fall to spring, they wouldn't be competing with the FIFA windows. It would allow some European players to come over. Um, so there's a lot of question marks around if this is a good decision, a bad decision. 
I have my thoughts, but before I throw it over to you, Scotty, six regular season matches overlap with the Women's World Cup this season, but the players are scheduled to be released June 26, which means that players that play in the NWSL will miss 12 games potentially if they make it to the final of the regular season of the NWSL. Scotty, do you like how the league has it now? I do. Or would you love to see it be a fall spring deal? Uh, I I think... In America, it, it has to be the way it is now. I, I mean, you you are co- going to compete. A couple years ago, I'm pretty sure it was the NWSL commissioners came on and said, you know, the way to grow is through our TV ratings. We have to get TV ratings, and that's the truth. In America, we got to get we got to get it out. We have to have people see it. If you're going to try to compete with the NFL, you you are going to lose. You are Good going luck. to lose. <laughs> yes, you people like I, we were talking. Sunday's a holiday in America during the NFL mm-hmm. season. Like, I don't even know what my neighbors do, but I know on Sunday they're watching the NFL games. I'm watching my NFL games. We're making chili. We're getting hot dogs. It's, it's, a, it's a holiday. It's an event. It's a, you have your teams. And you ask every kid, who's your favorite team? And I'm, I could ask kids that question at Next Level Academy, and they would say, a football team. They would tell me their football team. They don't even tell me their soccer team. We're at a soccer place. It's just – NFL rules. So if you're going to try to compete with them, no one's going to be watching on TV. The league is going to lose ratings. The losers are going to lose viewers and we're going to lose participation by the fans. Now I totally get it. I don't want to be missing players for 12 games either, mm-hmm. but there must be another solution that we can do. Is there uh, like in Europe when, when the winner comes in Europe, it was a big break for a month and they get the players go on holiday or the teams go and they travel to a nice place, a nice climate, and they do work out. The weather here is not even close to what Europe is. We have a way worse winter and it's way longer and it's, it spreads out different times through the country. Like if we're playing right now, who's playing in New York? No one's playing right. in New York right now. I mean, they're getting, or even California. I mean, what in the rain? like, like I, I just think it's, it's a, it's a nice thought is are we doing it so players don't want to go play in Europe? I just, I don't understand that there's there's not enough information being thrown out to say why this is right, except for this World Cup window, we're going to be missing players for this amount of time. Well, the World Cup's every four years, so is there something we could do to figure that out? Is there a change in the schedule every four years where we do it just to, to make things work a little bit? I don't, it doesn't no. make sense why... Listen, I, I'm a player that played in the summer in the United States. Who did I compete with? Baseball? That's not a competition. That is, there's no. no competition. Nobody's watching baseball. Go, go to a baseball game. We're all there for the peanuts and the hot dogs. We're, we're not really there for baseball. And baseball is getting worse and worse and worse. And so I, I liked it. We were like the only thing going. We were the only event. People were coming to see soccer. So I, I think the summer works. It works in the U.S., and I understand it doesn't hit, hit FIFA windows, but... Right. Well, you mentioned the Women's World Cup and Casey Stoney in the Equalizer article that I, I read about. She said, well, the Olympics is next year, so they're going to have to compete with the Olympics again next year. So I guess it turns into every two years. I agree with you, though. I, I don't think you can compete with the NFL. The argument there could be, let's play our games on Saturday. I don't really think you can compete with college football here in America. And now that... The, the courage would be crushed here. Your, your courage yeah. are, they're sitting in a, this is college town. We got the triangle, Chapel Hill, Raleigh, Durham. Duke. We love Duke. anything. Look, State was good this year in football. We've been bad for a few years. 
we're still going to the games. Right. The fans, the state fans are still going to go to state game over a courage game. Like it's going to be hard to compete just here against college. Yeah, and you mentioned the driving a TV contract. This year is the end of the CBS contract. It could be a reason why the conversation's being had because they're trying to figure out where the league is going to go next when it comes to where are people going to watch it. I also say you you mentioned the weather. If it's snowing and just how poorly that we may have a hard time of clearing these fields. It's going to change the style of soccer we're playing. It's going to change the outcome of the game. The rain affects the game every once in a while, but not as often as snow and cold weather does. So I don't see a reason to change it. I think right now, yes, we're having bad weather, but it only is a few weeks in the season. And then you get to the fall. It's great soccer weather. And across the board, there's no variables like there would be if you had a fall to spring. I think one of the other arguments is too, is some of the European players that they're missing because they see, oh, well, we don't have to compete with the FIFA window. We can still play with our national teams if we play in our leagues in Europe. I know the NWSL would like to see some more European players in their league. That could be a reason to drive it. But I think the NWSL is in the next two, three years is in such crucial years for women's soccer and such a massive change like the schedule could make things awful and terrible and it could upend a lot also with the world cup coming up stay consistent and do what you're doing right now i don't think there's anything wrong and we've seen the numbers increase because of what they're doing so why change it yeah and i also think if you change it you're going to lose fans in the seats too and as a player it's much easier to play in front of fans right like you want to play you want to show you want to be good and especially if you're the home team like so if we get less people in the stand i who wants to play in front of 200 people? Right. I don't even feel like a professional. Like I, I want thousands of people in there. I was fortunate to play in Rochester and Cleveland in parts of my career. And we're, we were averaging, you know, 15,000, 12,000 people. That, that's, that's phenomenal to play in front of that many people. It's not just phenomenal for me as a home player, but as a, as a visitor to come in and to be able to stifle the, the cheering and the, and the fans and to settle them down and make them sit back down on their seat. That's, that's a great driving force as a player to be playing in front of so many people. And you, I just don't think you're going to be able to do it in those. Well, one, it's going to be cold. A, a big part of who comes and watches the NWSL are young players, young female players who you're now also overlapping their season. And school. So are Kids even, are in are school even, in the are fall. In spring. School, are they even available? Because their team might have a game on the weekend. Now you can't go and watch them play. So I think, right, you're, you're right. Like, why mess with something that is, is not broken? And, yes, it's different than everywhere else, but we, we live somewhere different than everybody else, and we have to do things based on where we live. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Some things are broke, though. Some things are broke, Scotty. For sure, and for that's sure. why we have – the yellow penny segment. Do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Uh, whatever. I'll oh, go first. I'm in I don't want you to pick mine. Well, okay. March Madness. Okay. I'm, I'm huge, not going to pick that. Huge sports fan. So March Madness. I'm super psyched. I wore my NC State throwback hat. Excited. We played Creighton. We're the 11 seed. They're the six. Hopefully we, we'll get out. I got some uh, Nike Roche runs on today because I feel we need to run them. I, I think they're a smarter team than us, but we're more athletic. But my yellow penny goes to, and it really makes me happy to be this, that they did this, to UNC Chapel Hill men's basketball team. At the beginning of the year, the goal is to play in the postseason, to win your games, to win the ACC championship, and then play in the postseason. I'm sorry you didn't make the NCAA. Not really, but you didn't. But to turn down the NIT, 
who does UNC think they are? You're, you're bigger than the game. You're saying you want to, we're going to take the NIT off to develop and grow our program. You had an opportunity to play in front of your fans. You would have been a high seed, which means you would have got home games. So your fans could have come senior players again. You got a, few, a lot of seniors, a lot of players leaving, and you have a lot of young players that could have got some minutes. I, I think it's, it's disgraceful. It's the biggest cop out. And I think for a state fan, it's exactly what we think of UNC is you think you're better than everybody else. Hey, you didn't make the NCAA. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But you made the NIT. But to turn it down, so for me, and I, I usually want to try to stick to soccer, but this one was when I heard it, I was shocked that they weren't going to play in the NIT because they're above the NIT, basically. Don't be shocked. Don't and be it, shocked. And it can't, it can't come across any different for me. I mean, Penn State took their spot. Penn State gets out the <laughs> NIT and then UNC gets demoted. Let's keep it that way. Let's. I love where Penn State's at. Shrewsbury's done amazing things with our program. But you're right. That's a, that's a good yellow penny. I like that. I'm going to stay in-house. I'm going to stick with the NWSL. There was a terrible decision made in Portland, and it's their new kid. It is a travesty, in my opinion. And they said, quote, the jersey speaks to both the artistry that our players exhibit on the pitch and the creativity of our incredible fans. That's great. Bold, unique, undeniably Portland. That's great, too. The year 2013 in Roman numeral sits atop the art right here, a nod to the club's roots and its inaugural NWSL season. It is so bad. There's these weird roses coming up the sleeves. They've got their crest right here. It looks like the players have tattoos I, I it's like you know the guy no regrets that was the thing when I was in high school it <laughs> yeah. was like that's what it kind of looks like is these people or whoever's wearing this kid is wearing no regret tattoos across them so my yellow penny goes to the new kit I'm not thrilled to see it I love Portland they normally do a really good job and this this just wasn't it wasn't it they got the jersey <laughs> I'm not buying it. We'll say that. All right. Well, Scotty, this was fun. I'm so glad we got to touch on some really awesome topics. Love talking yeah, about the too. youth game and your perspective, being a coach yourself at the youth level. I was once asked by when I interned at NFL Films, my, co my coach, my boss was a huge Liverpool fan and his daughter played. He's like, can you come and coach my daughter? Oh my gosh, it was the most stressful hour of my life because I was like, I don't even know like what level of soccer your daughters are at or these girls are at. The nicest kids, they were willing to learn. But I was also, you know, when we were 10 and eight years old, we were juggling. Some players don't really know that at that level. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to take the L. I'll never be a coach. Maybe you guys will hire me at NFL Films. You like me. But anyhow, so yeah, I have a lot of respect for people who coach at the youth level. So yeah, all a, it's a tough job. It is. It is. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Oh, 100 percent. Sure. But yeah, right. Like you, I coach probably 40 kids a night sometimes like at a one session and you're trying to make 40 kids all have a good time and learn and have discipline. And at the ages you coach, yeah. you're doing a lot of parenting at the same time as coaching, which it, it is stressful because you want them to experience the greatness of the game. And that comes from your energy and your knowledge and and your ability to touch every single one of those players. And, that, and that's a that's a stressful job as a coach. Right. At least for me, it is. Yeah. I mean, if you want to do it the right way, I'm sure it takes a lot of energy out of you. But it's worth it when you see some of these players, you know, kind of grow up through the ranks and, and learn from the best. I say you're the best, Scotty, because I mean it. Uh -huh, nice. <laughs> <laughs>
Anywho, thank you guys so much for tuning into the show. Um, like always, let us know through Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, what you guys want to hear about the topics that we touch on. We curate it because we enjoy talking about it. But is there something you want to learn from our perspective? Please share. We love hearing from you. And as always, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at SFTPPod. Bye, guys. See you next week. Have a great week.